and gentlemen. Hello. <laughs> Hello. We're back. Again, for a while, at least. We have returned. At, at the very least, till the end of this uh, episode. Are these I like episodes? to think... Uh, I don't know. I, I'd say episodics. Um, I like to believe that we're like the noble Sasquatch. We emerge every few hundred years uh, to predict the future. And all proof of us of exceeding low quality. Of inc um, of what? Sorry, have have a massive battle with Martians, including laser guns and a rock show, and then disappear quietly into the mountains. Basically, what we do. That's On a, that's entirely what we do. Once every couple of years, basis at this stage. We actually make this podcast to stop the Martians taking this planet. They they look at this podcast and they say, "My God, this planet is worthless." <laughs> And then they start eyeing it again. They start going, hey, that plan doesn't look so bad. So we release another episode. Yeah. <laughs> like, for fuck's sake, they're still doing it. It keeps the planet safe. I like to think so. I like to think so. What's our topic today? I don't know. You told me we have to do this because you have a topic. It is indeed time to once again return to Necromunda. Planet of the Apes! That's unfortunate. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Sayers, Dr. Sayers. No, I do not. I know the Simpsons song, Dr. Sayers. That's all I know. That is the Planet of the Apes theme tune. Bang on. Hell yeah. Okay. So, House of Chains. What is it? Who is it? How did I read it with my eyes? So we've now established your capable of reading. I learned <laughs> the great... It's like nearly two years later, you finally learned to read. Two years of doing a podcast entirely... Aud it's because you're not physically in my area. <laughs> that sounds bad. That sounds bad. You, you're not here to read things instead of me, so I, I have to learn good. I have to me-read good now. <laughs> you know, tell me. <laughs> How the so, House of Chains was written as though it was written by, in fact, a Goliath House member, making it significantly easier to understand. Yeah, it's just stamped, pressed steel with, like, primitive symbols and birds. and <laughs> That's how I learnt. <laughs> okay, so, House of Chains. I've got a bit of a, a structure here, because there's a lot to, to get into. Now, when it was first announced, I was really worried that it was just going to be a pamphlet. I was worried that it was going to be, like, an addendum. A poor man's addendum, and we hate them. Which costs, yeah, when I say poor man's, I mean, <laughs> excessively wealthy. Yeah, so it's, it's 160 pages. I thought you were about to say £160. I, for, I, for a split <laughs> second, I really thought. You went hard into the GW marketing strategies. Yeah. Um, and it, it's, I say this, it's not actually that much money to buy. Okay? It's not that much money. In today's money, it's not too bad. Like, it's surprisingly cheap. I was expecting about 30, 35 pounds. I think it's, I think it's okay. Aware, it's an expansion book for Necromunda, which elaborates yes. on the, specifically the Goliath gang. Gives you a bit more detail on them and extra rules. It certainly does. And it also expands on the fluff. Now, that's my first point. First point of discussion. Is the law. Now, I don't want to get anywhere near the law of this because it's just going to be better if you read it. I think there are definitely some 
some really cool bits. Uh, a lot of those cool kind of, as we previously discussed, intricacies of Necromunda, um, the whole idea of Goliath's been, uh, you know, Gene Smithed to become a slave race to work the forges. There's a lot of cool shit in there uh, and a lot of cool interactions between people, such as superstitious Cordor, um, you know, the local population is terrorized by a primitive Goliath gang on this and say, this is the will of the emperor. You people are failing him. Um, that's a bit cartoony, but <laughs> there's a lot of good shit in there. A lot of good shit. And I won't get too far into it. Um, it's about 40 pages of lore, plus, you know, little bits, drips and drabs here and there throughout the book. Okay. Why is this more worthwhile than, say, Vigilus Part 2, Vigilus Boogaloo? Vigilus Part 2, Vigilus Boogaloo, Addendum, Parentheses, Reboot Gilliman's Ballsack. Um, close parentheses. Close parentheses. It's because all 40 pages, number one, all 40 pages are based on the Goliath and the Slave Jotun Ogren gangs, which are also in the book. Okay. So number one, it stays on topic. It stays on focus. Whereas the, the Vigilus kind of books that stood in 40k, it's a bit more like, and G-Steel Cults, and Imperial Fists, and Salamanders, and blah, 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 blah. And you get a very sort of light skim along the top. Whereas this is a lot more in-depth, a lot more um, well-written as well. Like, it, it's oh, a small thing, but it is definitely a big thing. Which, oh, that, oh, tell you what. We'll, we'll discuss it at the end, but if I, I don't know, I'll put a little rubber duck next to my mouse as a reminder. Okay, that's the, He's the symbol down. of reminding. His name's Donovan. <laughs> Continue. Donovan Duck, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, the lore is, is, is bountiful, it's faithful. I think there are some moments where they missed out, maybe, on discussing some points. Um, namely, I think... Okay, so I'll spoil the first sort of four pages, because that's not really... That's 10% of it. You're going to spoil um, the table of contents, you piece of shit. I'll spoil that shit. So, the Goliaths are made, um, the Escher and the Val coming together and combining their technology and alchemy uh, to basically create this race of giant slab-enclosed... Sorry, muscular slab-enclosed uh, behemoths that are meant to be sort of dumb gene stock workers designed with big hands to work the forges um and basically to, to drive up productivity and okay all of that on top sounds very nice and there's this whole cool thing that the goliaths eventually rebel uh and it's tolerated because the goliaths actually uh either deliberately work harder so they're like deliberately sandbagging themselves so that when they took over the forge for themselves they start really pushing production so productivity goes up so lord helmore is happy you know they they really uh sort of offer very low risk in terms of being targeted by helmore because they are the single greatest worker faction because they're made for it which is a very cool thing however it kind of yada yadas a little bit over the whole actual transition from slave borderline lobotomized creature to functioning Goliath. And it, it kind of makes this... I'm also a bit suspicious about the whole brain-dead slave concept, then having a plan across the board, which must have been like from the get-go, to deliberately sandbag as much of their work as possible. 
it's it's not across the board not across the board but it's just on independent forges yeah there's there's a lot of kind of across the whole planet the goliaths unite and forge their house and it's a bit kind of you know the book does say that it takes time and there's you know bits that are left behind some goliaths are still slaves entirely you know they they throw off until of slavedom but it kind of yada yadas over the whole coordination bit. It's like, how did they get the technology to communicate if they are communicating? Um, and then there's also the whole theme of the overtorrent. So the overtorrent is the lord um, of the House of Chains, aka Goliaths. Um, and he got there by might is right, but he's only in Hive Primus, which again is kind of like a weird thing. How does his influence stretch out to the other hives? Like, how do they know his dominance? You know, it's a bit. Yada yadas, and we go along with it because it's the charm of Necromunda. And maybe there's a bit that I've missed in there, but I think it does. You know, it doesn't do a great job of explaining that. And also the transition of Goliath becoming awakened. It does say that it's from the natural births of Goliaths, Goliaths, because normally they're grown in vat tanks. Like there's just this tank of amniotic fluid that just births a giant man. So very cool. Um, born like a child out of the vat, but obviously they have a huge frame. Um, and so they have the data slug injected into their brain, which is the, like the history and the knowledge of the glass. And there's the, the whole cool thing of how the data slug evolves as the Goliaths evolve. So instead of the Goliath coming out and just being shot with this data slug, how do you work a, a pipe? I don't know. That just came to my mind. <laughs> <laughs> a lot being said there. How do you work? Well, um, Whereas over the years it becomes, they know the full history of the glass. They know how they used to be slaves. They have that understanding, you know, as soon as they come out the tank, which is, yeah, that, that's a nice sort of how they evolve. But again, how do we get that information everywhere? It's a bit kind of, well, yeah, they added. On the one hand, you know, there's a fair bit as we've done to slightly tear it apart here or say there's some big problems. But at the same time, they are trying to have to justify how the Goliath got to where they are. And it may well be based off of bits of old law. Yeah. So it may not be entirely their fault as compared to say some of the other shit G Dubs has done as of late where it's just fucking Crazy. nonsense. Yeah. So and also like with the whole different hives thing, I think they kind of shot themselves in the foot just a tiny bit with the different hives because as I said the uh, the overtyrant is in hive primus. A lot of the lore takes place in hive primus. The other hives are kind of ignored but they also follow the same rules. So or rules over all the other hives as the planetary governor, but there's different noble houses and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, it, it both creates a lot of law opportunity, which is amazing, but it also means that Hive Primus is the focus and we don't really know too much about the rest of them. We get like a flavor of them, you know, like Cordor runs this one and Goliath is stronger in that one. But, but you know, the main thing, I mean, overall, the law is great. It gives more about the Goliaths, it explains more about the Goliaths. It's again well written. Even though yada yadas, it's well written, it's a nice story, it's really engaging to read. Whereas some 40k lore, definitely of recent, is a bit kind of like smacking you around the head with, you know, uh, blatant homoeroticism for space marines. <laughs> let's just let's just well, get out, out also there. being poorly done, because back in the day, plenty of homoeroticism for space marines. That was like a key part of the hobby why we got into it, but <laughs> but at least it was well written. The homoerotic undertones were subtle, damn it. Yeah. Now they're overt. Yeah, because Space Marines used to be sort of these dour, um, sonorous, ultimate warriors, 
like pledged against the ultimate uh, horrors of the galaxy. Whereas now it's a bit kind of like they're the ultimate anime boys that shoot from space to yeah. blow up everything with their fists. And they used to be a little it's bit, a bit out like of control that. as well, which is what made them kind of terrifying. Beyond everything. Which, Necromunda is also awesome because Necromunda does the whole thing, for example, just Lord Helmore allowing the Goliaths to overthrow their their masters because productivity is good. Yeah. And so long as there's no threat to um you know, Lord Helmore, there's no there is a little bit of and I won't go into it, there is a little bit of super mutant from Fallout. Um yeah, kind of kind of stuff. There's this kind of more tone. Fallout New Vegas rather than Fallout oh, sorry, Fallout Three rather than Fallout New Vegas or the old Fallouts. Mm, I would say it's more just like the kind of super mutant uh you know the whole thing with super mutant. I can't really say it without spoiling it, so I'm not, I'm not I, gonna I kinda of feel like people don't come to us to not have some stuff spoiled. Come on, what's this? Okay, the the whole idea of uh how super mutants I kind of like Goliaths in Fallout, where they're idiots. They don't have, uh, you know, sort of comprehension Are of. They're going down the forks route. Yes, so it, it's kind of like the new developed Goliath, and the, these Goliaths are Goliaths that are able to have children. So they're born uh, when they were first created. They're born sterile. Now they can have kids, uh, and it's kind of like even Lord Helmar Helmore is afraid of these new Goliaths because through natural birth they become stronger. And they become more intelligent. And there's this this kind of myth. Uh, I can't remember the, the name of it now, but it's kind of like meant to be this out in the the dunes, yeah. uh, the wasteland of Necromunda, where there are free Goliaths, uh, and they're truly sort of more evolved Goliaths. Uh, but it's definitely heavily mythologized. Not at all. Yes, this exists. It's just kind of a, a cool thing. And it, it also hints at the fact that it might just be fantasy of the Goliaths. It yeah, might just be. I could see how that works actually really well as both something that would prey upon the minds of people like Helmore, while mm. also being like, you know, a mythologized paradise for... Goliaths, yeah. Free from the toil of labor. Live as you please. Yeah, but they're also smart. <laughs> Are these Goliaths also meant to live longer as well? Yes, they that's do. That's a big thing with Goliath is that they uh, they have shorter lifespans as a result of lives. having their bodies pumped full of absolutely everything to make them swole as hell. <laughs> swole boys. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it, it's it. Oh, man, just the flavor of Necromunda is so good. I know we keep going on, but the Goliath just I love the idea that they're this bred slave race that is just pumped full of chemicals to die early and to work as hard as possible. And then there's there's kind of a lot of the carryover of the cool kind of the way that Goliaths were designed to work bigger, harder, and more dangerously than everyone else. The Goliaths sort of take that as a source of pride. But it also does a great job of saying that's how the Goliaths live. Because there are whole sections of like a hive that will be full of toxic gases, which no one can work in, other than the Goliaths. And so even though this slave race revolting, there were just strongholds of Goliaths simply because of the natural sort of geometry within the hive. Like people couldn't get rid of them. So there was always going to be a you know, degree of success with the rebellion because you simply can't kill them. Yeah. It's, it's not even worth going in there to kill them. What are you going to kill them for? A forge that you can't use? You know, this is a world of resources. This is, you know, every bullet is weighed against blood, which is weighed against credits. You, you, don't, you don't waste shit. It's beautiful. Okay. So that, that's that's as far as I really want to go with the lore. Uh, 
again, I think probably with the other book, because spoiler, this is just like, it's like a codex for Goliath. It's really, really nice in that regard. And if you just play Goliath, this is for you. If you don't play Goliath and you don't want the Servitors, do not pick this book up. It is not at all worth getting if you're not a Goliath or Servitor yeah, player. I think they've made it fairly clear that it's basically just a yeah. Goliath book. Yeah, yeah. I also really like the name House of Chains. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, okay. So I think, yeah, the law will be worth going into with some of the other houses. But I'm really excited to see what they do with uh, Van Sare and Same. Orlok in particular. Those two are the ones which I'm really excited for. Yeah, because Orlok at the minute have a very sort of skimmy law. They're you know, they're toast as fuck. So they're mill toasters, fuck. Like they're, they're, I like them, but they really they need something else. They need an X factor. Like the Goliaths have the whole, you know, draped in the shroud of uh, slavery or chains. Um, you know, Van Sare have all the cool, like crazy architect and how their radiation is killing them, but they keep themselves alive, and it's this great secret that these weapons kill people. Um, well, not that great a secret because of. Obviously... <laughs> anyway, I'm, I'm excited. To see... So I've got. Just a, a good list here of good, the bad, and the ugly. Okay. And I just okay. want to like... Quickly, when we talk about the other books, though, I'd be most hyped for Van Sare because, as I said, there's a lot you can do with Van Sare, and they haven't elaborated too much on them as of yet. But also, um, I want to see what they do with Delac, just because I think Delac are kind of on a knife's edge right now, of either they will be done well and have a bunch of really cool shit, which they'll have done, or they'll tumble down into the Zinchian... Aha! Plans upon plans! We meant to fail! Aha! Yeah, I really hope they don't go into that. Yeah, same. I mean, they do they do a fairly nice job of Delac at the minute, and I think I don't think that they're going to ruin that lore by going into that too far. Because, again, I have faith in the guys that do Necromunda. That's a weird thing to say, but I have faith in the guys that do Necromunda. I have faith in them from a writing perspective. And lore and flavour and all yeah, that sort of thing. that's what I mean. Like, when it comes to the fluff segment of the codices and books. I have faith in them there. Okay, so let's start out with the good things of this book. So now we're going to the rules section. And we'll, we'll do a bit more of an investigation into the different profiles a little bit later on. Um, but what's good in this book? So number one, expanded rules. Expanded rules are good because they add a lot of flavor. They're bad because they had complexity. I will admit that. And that's one of the things that I hate. But there's not too complexity that's added. Um, and there's, there's kind of like a lot of extra stuff, like a lot of neat things in this book, which are also kind of broken. So that would be in the ugly. say about the hypocrisy of having very negative opinions about when they do this in 40k compared to Necromunda. Okay. I'm allowed this hypocrisy because <laughs> Necromunda, Necromunda is all about extremely detailed rules. Like, that's what I know it is. Like, for example, if you're a new and you want to get into this game and you're looking at this game, before you even understand what Necromunda is, you see there's a rule book, there's an army book, and then there's going to be a codex for each of your armies. Um, there's the gang war books. There's the there's, gang war books. There's the tactics. There's the complete you know. rule book, which isn't complete. There's the recent um, Corpse Grinder Cults-based expansion. And then do they have their own book as well? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. They don't have their own book yet. Um, but there's the Law and Misrule campaign um, and also the Jesus of the Cults campaign. So there's two campaign books already there's as well. also the various pieces that were in uh, in White Dwarf, but now maybe have filtered in some of the codices. Not codices, but some of the books. 
Yeah, so you can't look at this game and think, I'm going to get into this lightly. Whereas... I don't think anyone looks at any game <laughs> product and says, I'm going to get into this lightly. Okay, yes. I'm going to go into Warcry and see where that leads me. Um, okay, so yeah, with Necromunda, and also because you only have like six or seven dudes, maybe eight, maybe nine, if you're called up, maybe 13, right? Whereas like 40k it is, you have so many moving pieces. So many moving pieces, and it takes so long to play the games of 40k that the more rules you have, the more it gets bogged down. Whereas Necromunda, you can be fairly darn in depth because you only have six or seven dudes, and normally games end quite quickly after one or two dudes have died or gone out of action. Whereas like 40k, because it is so much but bigger our, in its our scale. With Games Workshop, is that it becomes a nightmare to keep. Well, with 40k, it becomes a nightmare to keep track of which books are correct. And also, it's bloody expensive. I mean, that's also very... Which rips people off. Yeah, so, I mean, we'll come back. Hang on. <laughs> We've still got to do the bad. We've still got to do the bad. No, Don't, no, 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 no. Don't no, get into that. This is an important question. Because we're getting off with all this high praise about how this book is lovely and amazing. What, what separates it? What makes it different to when Games Workshop does this in 40k? Because it's exactly the same problem. And arguably, Necromunda... Okay, I don't know if I'd say Necromunda has it worse than 40k. Because 40k, at the very least, uh, Necromunda hasn't done like Chaos Codex 2.0 that did nothing but add in a couple more data sheets and get the points for obliterators wrong. Or something like Codex Space Wolves where they left out, they literally just left out a page or two. <laughs> yeah, they, that was the uh, relics. They left out the relics and the oh, warlord traits and yeah, stuff like that. Like the like particular um, like tales, like specifically like heroic tales which acted like warlord traits or things something like that and they just left them out like that because they can had any mistakes that large but at the same time i mean oh. well it, it's it's riddled with tiny things it's like commander is a beautiful 1940s that is riddled with bullet holes <laughs> low-grade ammunition but still yeah. riddled with bullet holes onset of world war ii it's also like been welded together by and it is galvanized. Cars it's galvanized by its beautiful lore and character. It's a lovely ornate old car, but it is made of like 14 different cars that don't quite fit together. Okay, so carry on with the good for a minute. Okay. Carrying on with the good. Um, a lot of stuff is streamlined. Uh, making your gangs is now a lot easier. That's good. Just, just because there was a little bit of this whole... Like, with gang specialists, it was never really clear what the gang specialist was, whereas this book just identifies, no, you have a gang specialist, and he has to be from um, the standard ganger. Like, they changed the names of it, which is something that I'm not hanging about. A Galabruza, which is a ganger. The specialist is a, a ganger, basically. Um, and it also it has all the guys like next to each other. It also tells you how to create the list. And something that's really, really good... Um, which might be too good, maybe? We'll discuss it in a bit. Um, is the Juve. They've made the Goliath Juve actually good. Whereas in the original book, the Goliath Juve was just terrible. Absolutely terrible. Uh, you would never take it, ever. Which is something that I really disliked, because I think having a Juve is a really, really cool idea, especially, you know, carryover from the last Necromander, is that the new kid... On the block, the idea that this kid has the ability to become like a hero character—you know—you have the, the ability to develop them. They get the experience, they get the skills. 
um, to become a late game monster, or they just die. Uh, completely irrelevant to the rest of the world. Like those two parallels, I really love the idea of because gangers should never be able to become like the biggest boss of the world because there's a reason they're the ganger. A champion should be able to become the leader. I agree, but like the idea that a juve is this new blood, we don't really know where he fits into the hierarchy, um, and this ties into the law of Goliath as well because different Goliaths are born you know, genetically different from each other. Some are born for greatness, some are born to die in ignominy. Whereas, you know, the Juves, uh, fresh blood, could go anywhere. The potential is limitless. So useful Juves is really, really good in my opinion, and it just gives them a lot of flavor. Because previously, if you took a Goliath list, you'd never take a Juve, and I think you just lose character for doing yeah. that. You lose a bit of character in the list. Juves are like a- fun. I've always had like at least one or two in my lists because again they add a lot of flavor and they're just fun. You can also do like silly shit with them where it's like you know what I'm gonna. Typically my juves always use two pistols because I don't think it's a great idea. But that's fun. That's awesome. <laughs> it's typically bad unless you're like I, know, I reckon Van Sayer can get away with it with a leader because they they will hit you. But I like give my juves two pistols like ah fuck it they'll miss most of their shots but at the same time if you're some kid just like I want to be a ganger. I can I can see them being like I'm gonna have two pistols. Can you aim at them? Nah, but I'll try. <laughs> It'll be cool. <laughs> but also that that brilliant idea. Just, they're cheap. They're disposable, so you can just throw them into danger and death. Oh, oh do you remember um, Eliza? <laughs> um, the uh, what's her name? Lady Ganger, that gang of ladies. Esher. Yes, Escher, that's the one. <laughs> yeah, my Esher. Um, lady juve there we go where basically after we were doing like the campaign it was the one we ended with you know you having three guys against my 10 but <laughs> got a bunch of credits like well i've bought some new stuff for my leaders i guess i'll give eliza two plasma pistols <laughs> good god yeah and you then had uh, eliza charging down a goliath <laughs> which was basically either she's gonna hit him and hopefully put him down. If she misses, she's going to get fucking brutally murdered. But she's a juve, so I can kind of risk it. Albeit, you know, maybe not with plasma pistols. But that's it. You just need the boat out because it's cheap and you don't care. Because, like, your leaders, you're never going to give your leader two plasma pistols and just have them run at the enemy and see what happens. I'm going to overcharge it. both pistols, yeah, and shoot at you because this is my leader and I want them to die. No, it's the juve. Just fucking go for it. And then if they, if they pull it off through luck uh, and skill, then they deserve to be developed into a champion. Yeah. And they deserve to have their legend told within the gang. And I think that's a cool idea, whereas previous, nah, <laughs> just not happening. Cool. So now, the, the dupes are good, which is very, very a nice. brief tangent, because the, the new models came out with this as well, didn't they? Yes. Uh, and they're like Games, sh- uh, Games Workshop or Forge World? Games Workshop. Games Workshop. Are they that... better to build than the old ones? I would say they're much the same for Goliath because Goliath have very nice kits. Okay, because like obviously... Van Vanser is going to be terrible to build because yeah. it's a thousand moving parts. That, that's what I'm terrified of because like I, I would like it when you know hopefully when they get around to Vanser they'll finally release that fucking mech suit and the spiders. Yeah, the original pod. Like, oh, if I bought up some more gangers, they're going to be in a billion pieces. Yeah. Hand part one, gun part one, gun part two, gun part three, forearm. Upper arm, elbow, shoulder piece. 
I think that's just the nature of the tiny kit. So, I mean, but the glass stuff is all good to build. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so yeah, they're good. Uh, also very cool. That gives you two stimmers and four Forgeborn, which are prospects, which are like Juves, but different. Um, and we're just... Basically, the difference between a, a Forgeborn and a Juve uh, is the Juve has one less movement, one more strength, and is basically just a regular Goliath with a little bit less cool leadership and willpower and stuff like that. Whereas the Forgeborn actually has plus one move, one less strength, still toughness four, uh, and the same like leadership, cool willpower, and intelligence. But Forgeborn gain this awesome rule, which is... Uh, oh, no, I won't go too far into them. I'll go too far into them, because I'll come back to that. Um, okay, but just, just coming back to the what's good in this book, and the armory as well. Uh, the armory has been expanded for Goliath. So, like, your Goliath leaders now have 40 to 50 options out of the 30 that they used to have. You know, all sorts of crazy things thrown in. So, like, the, the leader now can take missions as can your champions. Um... Okay. Whole expanded, you know, we can now take, uh, where is it? Bum, 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 bum. You can now take suspensors on your leaders and your champions, which oh, is amazing. The, um, fire heavy weapons without penalty. Yes, which is great, but they're very expensive. Uh, but yeah, still, still a, a beautiful to Goliath. Now, as we from the good, so I, th I think it's all good. It's all laid out. There's a lot of nice stuff, uh, and there's a lot of customization. And the customization isn't ugly, which I'll come back to. So we'll go to the bad. So what is bad about the Goliath? Well, instantly jumping from the expanded armory is obviously power creep. So this book is definitely a big bonus to Goliath power. And it wasn't a necromunda. It just comes back to that good caveat of how badly do you want to win? How badly do you want to jank shit up? Because with this book, you can now take the heavy bolter on a champion or your leader. Um, and there, there's different ways that you can do this. But you can take the heavy bolt on the, the leader, so it's uh, BS3+, plus instead of BS4+. plus. Give him suspenses so you can move and fire. Um, and then you can make one of your champions have the leadership skill as an access um, through some gene smithing. And basically, then you can have a champion with Overseer that is overseering your leader, which is now a 3-plus moving heavy bolter in your starting 1,000-point credits, which is just nutty for a campaign because you're very, very likely to kill some people with this. It like, is. spoiler. Weirdly enough, though, like... Don't get me wrong, I'm getting ready to go what-the-fuck, G-dubs. But at the same time, in all fairness... You can start off with like a melter gun on a Vansair leader who hits on a two plus, and with you now saying melter when it hits people, it just instantly kills them. So, yeah, with the with the out of action thing, you don't roll an injury; it just takes you out of action. You know how um, Goliath have that card which lets you just ignore. Yes. Damage? Does that work on melter? Yes. Does it? Oh my god. Yes. Yes. You're talking about unstoppable like behemoth. Roll, damage roll. You're just taken out of action. You're just taken out of action. But yeah, I, I'll it's have to take the FAQ on that because that's it does work. Trust me, because uh, that's the intention. But anyway, but let's keep rolling. Like, I, I, let's it's something rolling. I want to check. Anyway, yeah, carry on. So it's power creep. It's definitely power creep. So Goliath are going to be, you know, again, it's really difficult to gauge, but 
I would say 20% more powerful than they used to be. You could certainly get extra mileage from this book. And again, it depends how much you want to abuse it. So I've seen some lists that people are already trying to run, and they're trying to abuse the book, but they don't really have the right combination yet. Hmm. So, and I'll get to that in the ugly, what the real combinations are. Um, but yeah, so it's definitely power creep. Um, it definitely gives the Goliath a lot more access to other stuff. They've also gained a skill set, which is the muscle skills. Now, muscle is better than brawn, because brawn is just shit. I don't know why you'd be taking that. Um, it doesn't change a whole lot, because it's better than brawn, but still worse uh, than combat and ferocity, in my opinion. I don't think there's anything that's majorly good. There's some weird stuff that you can do with Overseer, but again, Overseer is just shitly wacky skill that I don't enjoy using it, just because I think it's unfun. There's a lot of broken stuff you can do with it, but also, come on now. Come on. Did you use it in our last game? Uh, I, I used it in one game. I did use it in one game, because I've, I've used a lot of stuff just once, just because I want to see how broken it is myself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and do, then do I'm it. like, okay, I'm, I'm putting you on the spot here. It is fair enough. Like you you got to try these things just to see. Is it as bad as everyone? Is it as bad as what people say? And it is. It really is. It's horrific. <laughs> it's it really is. It's truly horrific. And especially Overseer when you combine it with really powerful guns and good shooting. Because people talk about Overseer a lot with Goliath where you're like, oh, just throw a melee guy forward and he moves double and then he charges. Yes, that's amazing. Yes, if he's stemmed, it's such a big range. And he probably kills someone. However, if you do it with someone with a heavy bolter and he's firing twice every turn... What about somebody with a uh, Delta? Just as effective, if not yeah. more effective, if it's a Vansar leader, Vansar. Yeah, that, like that's that's a very scary option, just, you know, multi-melter. Yeah. Because isn't it it's a just... AOE, isn't it? Yeah, it's a blast. Yeah, that thing is crazy. It's potentially a gang gone with two melter shots. Yeah, so I, I think with a lot of the starting stuff in this book, and if this is going to be kind of the, the standard that we get for the rest of the... Uh, books for campaigns. Certainly in our group, I would definitely try and rein in the credit spend on weapons early in the game. Yeah. Because number one, I think it's going to stymie your own stymie your own development, uh, and it's also definitely going to stymie your opponent's development. Because number one, you're expanding. Like the cool thing about the campaign is expanding into new gear and new talents and new skills. Whereas you've already got the best gear in the game, you're just getting more skills to abuse it, basically. Yeah. If you have a multi-melter, you can also flip off walls and jump upside down and shoot it between your legs, you know, because you're a crazy man. Um, so definitely with our group, I will try and rein in a lot of the spend. And I think a lot of us, you know, we're definitely not going to go for the the craziest shit that you can do. Um, but yeah... If, if other books are as crazy open expanded armories as this one, there's going to be a lot of very casualty first rounds of campaigns. <laughs> I mean, it, it's basically going to come down to who's got the biggest gun and who can use Overseer first. Like the first turn of the game, who's got line of sight, who can shoot the other guys to get the other guy's gun out of the way. Yeah. Like if you've got a multi-melter, I've got a heavy bolter. If I can shoot my heavy bolter twice and guarantee I kill your multi-melter guy, yeah, you know, it's pretty much... Like learned their lesson by now though when it comes to these things just a bit just a little bit but i think the idea was 
stupid because I think they looked at Goliath and they tried to amend a lot of Goliath's shortcomings because contrary to popular belief in the Underhive, so in Zone Mortalis, when you get to Sector Mechanicus, and even Zone Mortalis, uh, Goliath aren't the best guys in there. Yeah, They really aren't. There's definitely better guys for it. Shooting is better than melee. That's just a fact, because melee is much more dangerous. You have to get into melee range. You know, guns just do a better job with a lot less danger to yourself. And you, there's never a chance that you get shot back. You know, if you shoot someone with a las gun, he's not going to then stab you with a knife type thing. And if he does, credit to him. He manages to throw a knife. It'd be interesting if they did bring in a reaction fire mechanic, but at the same time... like Yeah, it'd be pretty scummy because you do it with like a melter cannon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Shot at him with a las gun, it'd be like, boom! Right back at him. It doesn't really solve the issue of range being better. It just makes... I don't know, it makes the the ranged arms race even worse because, like, well, he's going to have the better reaction shots. Yeah, but this is why I think Zone Mortalis is still the better version of the game because with these heavy bolters, with these multi melters, you still got to get line of sight, and if you can hide well behind corners and use smoke grenades and all that kind of crazy stuff, there's definitely a lot more play. And then you might even get into melee with them, at which point you've just taken out their really with the midi dude. Whereas when it's Sector Mechanicus and you've got a guy with a heavy bolter stood on the highest point of the platform with 36-inch range that is just raining death down on your dudes, firing twice a turn, you know. It's a bit kind of scummy, but I mean, that that's that's basically Necromunda. It's how scummy do you want to be? So I've seen a lot of people trying to be scummy with this, getting the wrong idea, uh, and then I've seen a couple of the right idea, and it's terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> so we get to that. So last bits of the bad. Um, do, 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 do. The business model. All right. Oh, yeah. As much as I've given you shit for that, to be yep. entirely fair to it, if we meet it halfway and say, okay, Gang Wars was the teething period for Necromunda, where everything's sort of getting knocked out the door, as it were, and coming out as the gangs got released, and this is the new next step they're taking, where they're going, okay, now that we've got everything out there, Let's focus on each gang and bring them up a bit and, you know, refine some shit and add in some extra lore stuff. So fair enough. Let's see how this next segment goes. I think, like, this next section of Necromunda will be, like, the real tipping point. Yeah. Whether or not it, like, you know, fully develops and becomes the great thing it could be, or if it, I don't know, it falls over and shit itself. It's a possibility. I doubt it. I don't think it will fall over and shit itself. I would hope that it doesn't. But whereas yeah. compared to 40k, we we basically said, okay, 8th edition, there's a teething phase. That was the um, inde- indices. And then they released all the codexes. And they were all a mess, <laughs> progressively getting worse. Then they released like the campaign splat books, which were also a fucking mess. Yeah. Then they, re- they released one new codex, which was a fucking mess. It's like, all right, 40k, stop. Let's be fair, Adeptus Sororitas, good. Space Marines, bad. <laughs> yeah. And I think that that's a really nice comparison with Necromunda, because I was thinking about this earlier as well. Like, what, How do I feel about the House of Chains as a business model? How do I feel about it morally as a player? You know. Yeah, as a responsible okay. consumer. As a responsible bad. consumer. Okay, I think, to be perfectly honest, I think this is the natural expansion of Necromunda. Life. Okay, it has a lifespan. It can't go forever. It has to end. 
basically, unless they're going to dramatically change it and create new editions, and it's going to be like a, a mini 40K, which I don't think it will be. I think it's too niche to be a new 40K. Um, so it's got a lifespan. And I think House of Chains and all the other books that are going to follow it is definitely the right progression. I think the mistake was the All the Gangs in One Book book. I can't remember what it's called now. Yeah, the Compendium or something. Because yeah, the, the one that came with the rule book. Also, yeah, I, I it was. I know how you could expand Necromunda because they recently announced they have a new series of books coming out called like the Warhammer Crime series, kind of like how they had the Warhammer Horror thing, and they're doing a lot of books based on a certain planet where there's lots of crime. So potentially, what they may do with Necromunda, if it keeps on going and keeps making money, they may start again on like another planet. And have a whole new series of gangs that could technically play against the old ones. Kind of like how they expanded um, Titanicus to Epic. Yeah, that's true. Could happen. G-dubs, talk to me. I, I'm good with this. <laughs> yeah. Like if, you want, if you want to make extra money without being shitbags, come to me. <laughs> okay, but just coming back to the morality now of yeah, the book. Okay. Um, again, it's reasonably pl- priced. Uh, with 40k... I've bought a number of 8th edition where it's just been this rushed, like, press-ganged, okay, we need a book. What about content? We don't care. We need a book. Just get it out the fucking door. Like, yeah. That's how it feels. It's like, uh, yada yada, Space Marines, uh, something else, something else, Imperial Fists, uh, Balder, uh, Defensive Lines. You know, it, it's all very much kind of chucked out the door. Whereas House of Chains does not feel chucked even though it's still come relatively quickly in cycle, there are still mistakes. Now, I just want to say it. I always go on about it. It's still in the bad. We're still in the bad. We haven't left the bad yet. Heavy Flamers, what are you doing to me, Necromancer? What are you doing to me? We've done this three times now. We've made the same mistake. Why is it more credits than Heavy Bolter? And why is it unwieldy? What are you doing? What is this? Have like... Have they fixed Toxic yet? Whatever it was. Uh, they made it worse, and then we agreed to House Rule. Do you remember? Yeah, no. I, because I they, 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 they fixed it, and then we weren't happy about it. Well, they fixed it and broke it, made it worse. Like, have they realised that mistake yet, or is it still bad? I think we'll wait for the Escher book. I think the Escher book yeah. will bust that one right, wide open. Um, this one does also have, like, a, a really nice... Sorry, going back to the good for a second. It does have a really nice, like, little breakdown armory at the back with, like, some breakdowns of special rules and equipments and stuff like that. Really nice and handy because I was worried when I was looking at it, like, oh, my God, I'm going to have to look at Pulverize in the main rulebook. Oh, no, it's got it in here. That's beautiful. That's good. That's really good. So there's, there's a lot of stuff that they've moved forward. They've progressed. Um, they've definitely tried to fix the issues of Goliath, which is both good and bad. Um... Just a quick thing. That also reminds me of like, if, whenever anyone tries to say 7th edition 40k was the golden era, I have seen my friend's codices from 7th edition. And the amount of stuff was like, oh, this piece of war gear? Go look in the main rulebook for the rules on it. We're not telling you in the codex. And that, yeah, that was, was awful. the most scummy bullshit. Like, okay, in Necromunda, stuff like special rules, I wouldn't expect them to say, to explain exactly what it is all the time. No, the old back in the old days, you know, like hatred and so on. You would have to look at the main rulebook for that. But when it comes to shit like war gear, come the fuck on. So the fact that in Necromunda they're saying, "Hey, we'll let you know what the rules mean in this book." Super lovely. Also, fuck seventh edition. 
Yeah, I mean that that gets the quota in. That definitely does. Okay, and then from a moral point of view, yeah, I know I said that and I launched into something else, but from a moral point of view, using this book, uh, so I'm probably going to play one of our friends fairly soon in Necromunder. I am not using the full depth of this book, and I don't think I can until. So he has Orlock. I can't use this book until the Orlock book comes out. That's how I feel about it morally. Because there's definitely stuff in here which dials... Like, the dial went from 0 to 7. This has pushed it to a 9. You know? And there's a lot of cool flavor stuff in here, but I'm kind of worried if I use it and then I... Uh, easily going to be a whole kind of, okay, we've got to shelve this book for a while. Yeah. So... I've used some stuff from it. For example, the Stimmer, which I'll mention in a moment. Um, but I haven't used any of the gene smithing. Now, gene smithing, this is the ugly. Oh, I think you let me know about this. This is the ugly. Bit, at least. Okay, so gene smithing. What does it mean? It's basically a whole new system. Customize your Goliath, which is both fantastic and game-breaking. It, it, it should come with a massive full-page printout of use responsibly before the section because this is the thing that just makes it ugly as hell. Okay, so there's now Vatborn, Natborn, and Unborn as the new categories of Goliath. And each Goliath, when you recruit them, has to pick one of these in this book. They have to pick one. So Vatborn is your stand. Born and bred Goliath from a tube. Nat born, naturally born Goliath, plus 20 credits. And there's a good reason for that. Unborn, plus 10 credits per Goliath. Okay, I'm not going to go into all of it because there is a lot of stuff. There's, you know, maybe... On the face of it, this does sound extremely cool and a lot of fun for the Goliath members, to be fair. It, no, it is so awesome. I really love it because if you did have complete smithed warrior bods of course you'd be tinkering with it of course there would be modifications to it some would be born better some would be born worse that's just the the nature of production some were born with uh deficiencies um so there's, there's all kind of traits yes you can oh now oh. here here is where f meets crunch meets broken Okay, this is a, a ice cream truck full of beautifully delicious lollies crashing into a playground full of children <laughs> and bursting into flames. Now, people have looked at it and they say, right, okay, I'll just pick one for the Vatborn. Vatborn fighter is the dermal hardening. For 10 credits more for each Goliath man, you get plus one toughness, making all your Goliath toughness five. Pretty big. Now, a load of people looked at this and gone, oh my god, toughness five, that's crazy, I've got a toughness boner, let's buy that. Slap those ten credits on, I'm buying that. And people looked at it and said, oh my goodness, this is broken. Spoilers, it really isn't. In fairness, though. It really isn't. In fairness, you tend to go up against a lot of strength three shooting in close combat. If you were going up against a lot of like strength four shooting in close combat, ten points for this, amazing, I dropped the duck, fuck. Okay. <laughs> Fuck. Okay, but with with the plus one toughness, we've got to remember that you've got to take this when you take the fighter. Okay, so uh, late late campaign, excellent. Uh, you know, plus one toughness in a late campaign scenario is amazing. 
at the start of the campaign, plus 10 credits for plus 1 toughness, when the majority of weapons and people are strength 3, doesn't make a fat lot of difference. If you're up against another Goliath gang, makes a difference, but a lot of close combat weapons give you plus 1 anyway for Goliath. And Gene Stealer Cults, why are you in close combat? No, not, not Gene Stealer Cults, sorry. Corpse Grinder Cults, why are you in close combat with them? That's the mistake. Plus one toughness doesn't make any difference. You shouldn't be there. They will kill you and they will hurt you. No. Bad. Bad, Goliath. So, to my mind, this one is situationally good. But again, this is just on a standard fighter. Like, why would you take this on a standard fighter? A, a ganger isn't really worth it. A juve is not worth it, right? And if you're taking it on a leader or a champion, if you get natborn, they get way better advancements faster because they're faster learners. Again, it's awesome. It ties into the lore. It's flavorful. It's awesome. However, it's broken because... Uh, la, 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 la. Let me try and find the, the one... I might not be able to find the immediate one. Oh yeah, okay. A f corrupted slug for the Vatborn. There are other ones as well. Uh, a faulty data slug has resulted in this fighter having only the basest level of education. Reduce this fighter's leadership, willpower, and intelligence by one. None of those stats matter. Yeah, no. And that's a free 5.10% reduction. Sorry, a bit less, 55%. But, you know, 8%. So reduction in your dude for nothing for absolutely nothing yeah uh you can also I, I'd take be rocking a, an entire squad of ever so slightly brain dead boys <laughs> like you know if, if like the, people would start looking at the person who's in charge of this merry band of outlaws and being like mate you keep hiring people with learning difficulties what's wrong with you you're putting them on the front line <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah so then you Bone density for minus 10 credits, um, reduce either the fighter's starting strength or toughness by one. Now, here's where we get to the ugly because reducing strength four to strength three on most dudes in Necromunda isn't game breaking. Again, like I said, a lot of close combat weapons with Goliath give you plus one strength. Take a spud jacker, suddenly your strength four again if you went down to strength three. Now, combine this with the, the brand new Goliath Juve. The, or toughness for movement for okay the movement for hurts right yeah but you could just reduce their strength by one to make them strength three toughness four still very good for 25 credits 25 credits a body equip them with a spud jacker and a stub gun and it's 35 credits for a dude That's with a pistol a and a for somebody's toughness four yeah a Given furnace plates for plus five points because furnace plates are only five. I would say worth. I would say worth, depending on how. Didn't you? Didn't you do the maths on this? Yes, yeah, so I, I did a, a brief maths on this with just going for like the the basic cheap boy, and you can get like fifteen boys and a tooled up leader for a thousand points. That and you can modify that either way. You can go for a very cheap leader boys or you can go for less boys and maybe a couple champions but the crazy thing is is this starting number of guys okay the, the major caveat to this is that a lot of missions limit the number of dudes you bring like a lot of missions would be like you can only bring seven which is like the, the counter to this argument right however if you just took it with like regular goliaths 
let's just say that you take the regular Goliath dude, never mind the Juve, never mind spamming 15 boys just because you can. Um, you take regular Goliath guys, reduce their strength by one, give them stub cannons. It's just a deduction for no loss to you. There's no loss whatsoever. It'd be like if Vansair, if it's like, okay, your WS is, uh, is one point worse, but they're 15 points cheaper. It's like, I yeah, don't care. <laughs> I don't care. Exactly. Um, and then, so this, this book has that entire swing of either you completely bust them with either making them super, super cheap or giving them born and some chosen uh, beautiful buffs. Like there's a five point buff for a netborn, which just allows them to, over the course of a campaign, use experience to increase their strength by up to three times instead of just twice. Oof. Which is really, really good because netborn also fixes your um, XP cost to upgrade stats. So I think, like, for the price of getting it to two points originally, for two more XP, you can have three points now for a five point increase on the model. Suspicious. Like that that's just really tasty, especially for a late game, you know, if you if you're hoping to develop them into the late game. That's just such a nice thing to be able to add. Um But yeah, so the the gene smithing, it's also really, really cool because there's stuff like this this one is my, my absolute favorite here. Um Yeah. So you take um mutation. No, no, but it's the tyrant's pride. Goliaths grow in power only through competition with their kin, and the strongest among them soon defeat all challenges to their dominance, leaving them surrounded by lesser warriors. Only a forged tyrant leader may take this genesmithed upgrade. However, this fighter's gang can include no fighters with gang hier hierarchy champion special rule. That's so fucking cool, because it's like he just beats down anyone that is a champion. It's a 20-point reduction to the guy, but flavorful thing. Like, it's a terrible thing to do to your gang because champions are so, so good. But what a beautiful flavor of, um, you know, genesmithing. And it's really cool as well because it, it lends itself to that whole kind of inherited characteristics, inherited behavior, inherited learning, um, but also, like, strength and ability. Um, and it's really, really cool that you do this through the genetics of your dudes. That's like, it's really just... good. That's, like, fucking fantastic. I'm not going to lie. And Tyrant's Pride was actually the thing that got me thinking that maybe the thing to do with Necromander is just to completely random your gang. Like, everything. Like, through the gene smithing, through who's in it, what your champion is equipped with, what your leader is, you know, how many juves you have, how many scammer, scammers, um, you know, scum you have, all that sort of stuff. And just completely random up gangs and just have them fight each other. To be fair, I would be down for, like, when the Vansair thing... Assuming Vansair have a similar thing. Like, literally going, okay... Buying a new box of the new guys and just being like, let let me just roll to see how they're meant to be and then build that gang and try and do a campaign with it. Yeah. So, like, and, I have seven juves and one gang. Yeah. I, I, I'm guessing my man wasn't trusted with a real job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the Van Sayer gang that has no gun. Yeah, no, I'm well... down to try that. I really would. Like, Or you have like one Van Sayer chap who's like, he's got two maces. <laughs> But nothing else. It's like, right, gotta try and make it work, I guess. See, yeah, but that that's just that's so awesome to me. And because there's so many options in Necromunda and so many just bad decisions to be made, like whenever I look at the the Reddits for, you know, what list do I build? What list do I build for Necromunda? And I'm not at all blaming people for doing this, but it always comes down to the same list 
basically. Like, there's like a set Goliath the list that is good. Let's have a little bit of variation depending on what grenade you want to bring, who your opponent is, but it's very much this set list. And then it's the same for all the other gangs. And just like, for example, Tyrant's Prize, that's such a crazy rule. And it's actually so fucking awesome. Like, I would love to do a campaign with a Tyrant that has this. Um, it would definitely gimp me. Uh, because I wouldn't be able to get as many credits as the other gangs, but it's just so flavorful and awesome. Oh, look, the second you read it out, it's like, if I was Goliath, I'd do this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I want to bring Stimmers, but that's why I won't do it for the moment, but I want to <laughs> give Stimmers a good going. Oh, like, what's... I don't know, you do interesting stuff, like, try and bounce this way. Like, okay, so how many negatives are there to positives on that, like, list? At a guess. Come again? <laughs> Sorry, on, cut out. On those like uh, genetic manipulation tables and shit. Yeah. How many of them are negative compared to positive? Uh. Okay. Well, it, it's a weird because some of them are plus credits, which I can negative. Like it's more credits to increase your leadership, more credits to increase your intelligence, which doesn't. You know, that's a negative to me because that's more credits for. It's like a tax. You could work it out. So, like, say there was like fifty percent good, fifty percent bad. You could just roll on the table. Or you could even do stuff like, okay, if you want positives, you have to also potentially roll, like, I don't know, a d6, and a 4 plus, you're fine. On a 1 to 3, you get a negative, which is rolled 4. That sort of shit. And I think it's really cool, though, all the different upgrades and downgrades you can get. And it'd be perfectly viable to just completely random on these tables. It'd be very cool. Um, because a lot of them, just, for example, Tyrant's Pride, that will not see the light of day in many, many, many campaigns. Like, only true ballers that just admire how cool that is will take it. But if you're trying to play a competitive game, you're not going to deliberately handicap yourself. And that is definitely a, a problem with this book, because I think a lot of the book, in their local gaming meta, and it's very, very difficult to consciously make a decision not to make the power play. Like, when you could just take your guys 10 points cheaper each, and you want that extra grenade launcher, and you have six dudes, like, there's just that temptation in this book to do that. With but you, the, uh, morally, you can't. You can't. <laughs> you just have to hold on. With the idea of um, the random team and so on, random gang, there's also suddenly a really interesting um, blackjack element involved. Like, say, you know, you roll for your leader, and say it's Goliath, and you've got the three different traits, uh, sorry, three different ways they could be born. So you roll for that, and you roll for their gear. You know, like, oh, and I'll roll for their bonus traits. If you keep on rolling, yeah, you'll get better and better shit, but you may just make them too expensive. So, like, for example, I know with, like, Van Say, if I, like, rolled my leader and he rolled well and got a bunch of shit, I then rolled for, like, two champions who also got a huge bunch of shit. I may only have, like, two gangers left, if that. Because <laughs> if you're starting off the initial 1,000 credits, like, oh... Hmm, this is now an interesting problem. I also like the idea of just making the entire table uh, numbered. Yeah. So that includes everything from close combat weapons, melee weapons, to grenades, utility items, and armor. And then you get two rolls on that table, and you've got to make two. So you might just have a dude that's completely unarmed, but like covered in armor, or he's got like smoke grenades and a knife. You know, it's just like he's got to make make shit happen like it would be really cool to start a law and misrule campaign uh with a gang like that like they're true fucking scum <laughs> yeah um but yeah okay so more stuff that's the ugly the stimmer the new 
class of Goliath champion, Dimmer. <laughs> so you just said like, guy, I, I would do this, but I really want to play with the Stimmers. Next step, the Stimmers. I do want. Like, they're awful. No, no, no. They're not awful. They're ugly. They're ugly. They're rough around the edges because basically there are two variants of the Goliath Stimmer which you can build from the base kit. Either you, they are Bane. They are Bane, which is awesome. Which is why I have one. Um, and they will crash a plane. Now you can either take them with an assault grenade launcher. What? Yep. Which is a rapid fire grenade launcher that they can move and fire with. Right. I'm pretty sure they can move and fire with it. Let me just let me just check that live on air. This is the bad right now. This is not the ugly. No, no, no. No, no, no. This, why they're in the ugly is because there's two variants of the stimmer. There's that one, which is ridiculously powerful. It does also. By the way, Jesus. When you take the frag rounds with it, because it can take crack and smokers. Oh my god. When you fire the frag rounds, it does become unstable, and it does have a chance to kill the stimmer. Yeah, but... Which is just a nice, just a nice thing to throw in there. <laughs> okay, so it's a rapid fire grenade launcher. Uh, they didn't have to do it. I will point that out. They didn't, they didn't have, have to. to. But at the same time, Thanks, they didn't guys. have to give them a rapid fire grenade launcher. I mean, it's funny. It is funny. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is kind of funny. I do. It is kind of, yeah. <laughs> and the model looks insane. The model looks so beautiful. I can imagine the model looks great as well. To be fair. Yeah, they can move and fire with it. Okay, excellent. excellent. Um, so that's really powerful. They also have combat chems stash. Now, what does this guy have over the other champion? The other champion can do the group activation of one other person. Goliath Stimmers cannot activate other people. They do not have group activation. However, they do have combat chems stash. So whenever this fight is, uh, is activated, it may choose to use combat chems. Until the end of the phase of this round, this fighter gains an additional plus d3 attacks. However, if the dice roll is a natural 1, the fighter instead suffers a bad reaction as its attacks characteristic is reduced to 1 until the end of the phase of this round. They come with 3. Right? What? They come with 3. So you don't even need to use the combat chems. Like, that's only if you're feeling crazy. Now, with the uh, assault grenade launcher still with the combat cams and three attacks, they do not need melee weapons. You can give them one, but they don't need it. Because you can also take a skill from the muscle skill set. Again, I'm not saying this is the best idea, but it's also an awesome idea. That They get plus two strength for unarmed attacks. So you could have a strength six dude uh, with potentially six attacks in melee and an assault grenade launcher that is rapid fire. Just saying, that's an option. Unimpressed. Unimpressed. Now... For nearly the same points, <laughs> nearly the same points, you can give him two pulverizing axes, which are basically plus one strength, minus one armor, and pulverize. Uh, and I believe there's something to do with the roll of a six. Like a roll of six does two damage or something like that. Hang on. I'll just check it. I don't know why. I always forget pulverize. It's on everything, but I always forget it. Um, dum, 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 dum. Okay. Now, why is this bad? Uh, simply because there's a lot of this theme throughout the book of like plus one strength, plus one attack, that all sort of stuff. Melee is dangerous enough with Goliaths. Like they don't need a lot of help to be good. Like I'm not saying you just throw naked Goliaths into combat, but they don't need every man with a power axe and plus three attacks to do damage. No. Uh, bum, bum, bum. Oh yeah, pulverize is where you can turn uh, flesh wounds into serious injuries, which are fantastic. So 
the Goliath Stimmer Champion, when he takes the uh, Pulverizers uh, for 50 points, paired Pulverizers, if he gets into melee, because they're paired, he doubles his attacks, which means his standard attacks are coming in at 6. Yeah. At strength 5, AP minus 1. Like, six, like guys, 6 attacks... Could have potentially 18. How's that? Oh, I'm sorry, I was thinking 6 12. plus 3. But no, it's, three plus, it's sorry, it'd be 12, yeah. Yeah, potentially 12. Like, this guy does not need a lot of combat with the axes. Like, you don't need to be using the combat cams. And... Typically, close combat is worse than shooting in Necromunder. Just a fact. It's a fact that I don't enjoy, but it is a fact. Uh, melee is very dangerous, don't, don't get me wrong. He's 25 points more than the champion. Activation is arguably stronger. And there's definitely the primo build is the assault grenade launchers. However, if you, if you want to use them for close combat, take paired spud jackers. Because, for okay, plus one strength, not the AP minus one and not the pulverize, but still six strength five attacks that hit on twos. Like, this guy's just going to do damage. He doesn't need the pulverize. The pulverize is like a late game option. Like, just go for spud jackers. Honestly, this dude with two is good enough. So they got a new class of character. So, a new class of character Who? that is ranges from busted to just good. I, I don't know if it's just good. It is, because you still have to take um, Nerves of Steel as their uh, skill to even get them into close combat. And, like, they don't really do a lot more than Champion would. And I think the Renderizer Champion is slightly, slightly cheaper. I guess. Yeah. And he gets group activation, so that's why it's like bad. It's like there's yeah. just there's better ways to do this. Like it's definitely not a, a terrible unit. And when I say sorry, the ugly, I meant the ugly. It's not a bad unit. It's not a terrible unit. It's just you get other things that are better. Like he's definitely with the whole double down on close combat for more points. It's like but you don't need to double down on close combat for more points. You just need some close combat for less points. Okay, so that's that's the stimmer. Grenade launcher, very, very strong. Looks amazing. Looks amazing. Now, the Forgeborn. The Forgeborn are like basically the dupes, which we discussed earlier. Yeah. Um, they have a beautiful special rule, uh, which is when they, uh, when they die. Where is it? Yeah. Uh, hot-headed. Um, yeah, basically, should they go out of action of another ganger, the other to take a nerve test because it's basically accepted that these guys are just going to die a horrible death to the point where it doesn't even bother gangers <laughs> because they're just and again they're awesome because they're kind of like a suicide I almost said bomber suicide unit <laughs> it's a bit bit of a hot topic there <laughs> bit of a bit of a topic of conversation carrying on carrying on so these suicide bombers um, <laughs> they they can take either a Expensive melee weapon, the heavy rock saw, or basically a storm welder. And the storm welder is a really awesome uh, weapon that targets multiple units in its front arc and shoots this strength five jumping lightning gun. Um, very, very cool. A lot of points. A lot of points to take these guys. Like to take a basic dude with just a, a storm welder uh, is 110 points. Like it's, it's a lot of points. That's a lot of points. Then particularly good um, because. Shocker, the Storm Welder does not 
differentiate between friend and foe, so you have to be very, very careful how you use it. Being strength 5 and multiple shots divided between everyone in the front arc is actually best against Goliath, because strength 5, again, you want strength, strength full bodies with minimal amounts of people in front of you, that's Goliath. Like low model count, high toughness. Yes, it likes that. It likes other Goliaths. Uh, it's really cool. I and the saving grace is that basically in Necromunder, in a campaign, unless you completely bottle out or you're completely tabled, you get to recover your weapons at the end. Yeah. So if you have one of these dudes with a 75-point gun and he dies, you can just get the gun and buy a 35-point body to put the gun back onto. So even though the gun is twice the cost of the body, you just get Seven more bodies. Um, just they're fun, they're cool, I like them. You can take like stub guns and fighting knives, and again, you can take the uh, terminal biology or whatever it is um, and just reduce their toughness, because they do have toughness 4. You could reduce them to toughness 3, and then they're 25 points a body. Still an option. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a cool unit. It's definitely, I like the idea that you're just suing this guy that's just reckless and out to prove himself. Like, if he does it, great, kudos, well done to him. Uh, but if not, that's very unfortunate. Now, what's sad about the prospects and the juves is that the juves, I need to correct myself, they don't actually become bosses or champions. The juves become ganger specialists. It's now the forgeborn prospects which become the stimmers or champions or leaders, which I think is an oversight. And I would yeah. definitely, I would probably house rule juves to just be the ones to be the champions and the forgeborn to become the special. Yeah. They're using giant specialist weapons. They become weapon specialists. The juves are proto-goliaths that are ready to jump in and die. Yeah. But for glory. You know, it just, it makes more sense. Fits the narrative a lot better. It makes the narrative a lot better. Um, and they're also called Goliath bullies, not juves. That's another thing that's ugly, is that they change all the fucking names. <laughs> so instead of just ganger, it's... Uh... I know what they're doing. They're trying to make it so it'll be unique for each gang, but at the same time... I don't care, yeah. Juves bullies? I think just... it's a mistake, because if anything... Maybe, like, they're a bully in other culture, but I imagine if they're you know, being becoming part of a gang, they would be the bullied rather than yeah. it just basically means like jerk yeah. <laughs> basically it's like one of those goliath assholes <laughs> hey he's new give him time he'll become a proper ganger goliath fuckwads <laughs> send the fuckwads in -na 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 -na. okay yeah but I would be perfectly happy and I probably will still just call them champions and gangers like that's just my personal rebellion Take it as you want. We'll get another one of those Warhammer children's books, which is basically a high school drama set in Necromunda where the bully will be a Goliath. Yeah, I think we will. Yeah. And there'll be like a self-conscious Escher gal that will suddenly turn a corner and then oh become God, yeah. ridiculously yeah. overconfident, kick the Goliath guy in the balls well, and be like, yeah, fuck have, you. You'll have a girl who they think like, oh, they're just a quiet girl. Oh, and they're like, they have no confidence. And they, you know, they go out of their way and try and like, oh, I'm going to dress up and like, Try and look sexy. Wow, she looks amazing. It becomes an Escher. That sort of thing. And sprays them all in the face with toxic gas and they die. Delac would be a nerd. I'm just I'm saying it now. Yeah, he'd be like the, the champion of the debate squad hiding in the toilets. Yeah, yeah. Um, Orlok? Would Orlok be like the jock? No, I think Orlok would just be like a 
just a dude that's kind of there in support, but not really. It's like, yeah, you do what you want, <laughs> and then like move on. <laughs> um, that would be that. The Cordor would be the um, enforcers and the Corpse Grinder cults. They're not part of it. Yeah, no, they're they're like the school faculty. It'd be the lunch ladies, <laughs> the school faculty. <laughs> oh, yeah, they have an enforcer teacher. Okay, who would the um, who would Cordor be? I think Cordor would be like the choir, the choir squad. Oh yes, they'd be like, "Hey, you coming to band practice?" <laughs> like five of them like break out in dance, and everyone's like, "Oh my god, get these guys out of here." But they're also poor. They're also poor. They're not. They're not the wealthy uh, Van Sare. Like the Van Sare, oh, like yeah. the wealthy exchange student <laughs> that does like surfboarding or something uh, or snowing. Like that weird kid nobody talks to. But maybe it could be both. They can be a weird kid nobody talks to who's absurdly rich. Yeah, definitely. He's from. Uh, I almost said Dutch Mark. Netherlands. Thank you. <laughs> from Dutchmark, Netherlands. Dutchmark, Netherlands. <laughs> and he said Leatherlands as well. Oh, God. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, I mean, TW, just employ us to do a high school yeah, I have, drama. It's in its second drafting phase now, but I'm working on it. Yeah. We have no previous history of being able to do this, but trust us. Yeah, invest. <laughs> Give um, us 20,000 Eurasian dollars. <laughs> and the else? best. Okay. There's, there's still a little bit more. Okay. Da, 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 da. Okay, allegiances. Allegiances are something that just... I don't like the look of them. Like, it's something... Like the old alliances table, or...? No, 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 no. No, this is where you ally yourself with certain factions. It's like a campaign thing outside of the campaign. You ally with a certain faction, like House Green or the Slavers, um, and you gain bonuses for doing this. But you, there's also like some penalties, and normally the penalty, which is a penalty which I, is you have to play a certain mission type whenever you can choose. Which again is like a cool like ah oh, this is what they want you to be doing, but also we're gonna end up playing the same fucking yeah. missions. Like if you have an alliance, I have an alliance. Doesn't matter who picks it, we're gonna be doing the same pool of like three or four games every time. Um, and also some of the bonuses are just wacky like allegiances again it needs a massive page beforehand use with caution uh i think it should be left to the arbitrator to use then i'm not convinced by it it's like for example if you ally yourself with the slavers if you're against a gang with more reputation than you you instantly get the slaver party with you which is four free dudes who can't die they can go out of action but there is no like lasting injuries they don't die you can't get rid of them and then the next game we play, you still have higher reputation than me. They automatically join me again. Uh, and there's there's some cool other bits to like. You have to like resist your fighters being enslaved. You have to like, if you want to keep the captives for yourself to ransom them, you have to test the allegiance. Like testing the allegiance is something that's cool. That's a cool mechanic. Um, but the power level is just so weirdly janky. And again, even within the parties, because there's a lot of allegiances that give you free dudes. The power level of the dudes is so different as well. Like, the slavers are pretty good. Other people, like, um, fuck, you, you can also house green, which basically give you, like, guard. And generic guard dude is called a Jaegerkin. 
that's just something that's fucking awesome. <laughs> I don't know what it means about balance. It's fucking... Um, Are the better ones at least harder to get? No, not at, all. not at all. There's, there are certain caveats, like, for example, you have to be on one side of the law, like either an outlaw or law-abiding to be able to ally with them. Like, House Green is a, a noble house, uh, so you have law-abiding, whereas the slavers, they don't really like law-abiding. Oh, sorry, the narco-lords. The narco-lords don't really like law-abiding people because they don't trust them. I thought most of the shit that happened with the gangs in Necromunda was illegal. It was what, sorry? I thought most of the shit that happens on Necromunda concerning the gangs was illegal. It was just turned a blind eye to. Um, they do, but also don't forget, like, it, it's something that I, I respect in a fluff narrative, is that everyone has got something to win, something to gain and something to lose. And by not playing the game, you just stand to lose, right? So if you are House Green and you want something from... Like, because the houses are powerful, and the houses do sort of sit... sit at like the lower echelons of the the real hierarchy. So if you have all these like clan nobles, they will know the the tops of the houses. They will know them. Uh, not that unrealistic. And also like underhanded doing. Do you do it yourself or do you get a load of cheap free meat to do the dirty work for you? So I, I agree with it from a fluff point of view. It's just the balance of it is super wacky. Super, super wacky. So to the point where I'd certainly say um, if you're running campaigns, if you're fairly new to the game, stay away from allegiances for a long, long time. Like do maybe five campaigns out allegiances before you start doing it. If you've got one player that is super, super weak and just gets shat on every single campaign, give him an allegiance. Like maybe not one with like a landing part, you know, slavers turning up and all that sort of stuff, but something that gives him a nice bonus. Like, because some of them just give you bonus credits, or they give you free, uh, higher rarity guns, which is just cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's it's all wacky. Um, okay, but it, it's three new options in here that ally very nicely with Goliaths. Um, the Narco Lords is very cool because they give you better access to drugs. House Green just basically give you the troops, and same with Slavers. There's some other like fluffy bits with it, but that's the main thing is you get an actual force. And also the other thing to note with them. And also Bounty Hunters and Scum, which are included in the book, is that when you pick your gang, when it's like random selection, five dudes, let's say, the boarding party counts for none of them. With Bounty Hunters, same with Scum. Mm. So if you hired a Bounty Hunter, which is good, if you hire a Bounty Hunter, they show up. If you have a boarding party that show up with four extra dudes to a five-man battle, it's, you know, it's that. <laughs> it's that. Um... Bounty Hunters are slightly updated in this book. Slightly better off than they used to be. Um, slightly less likely, slightly better bonuses for you. However, they're set in stone in a way that I like. In the them, you have to buy all their equipment. I would much rather that you just hire a Bounty Hunter and they could make use of your equipment in the house. Yeah. Because instead of paying 80 points for a dude and then having to buy them a plasma gun for another 60 credits... Uh, and then maybe some armor and other bits, and you know they they cost like. I guess it's symbolizing like you know, hiring somebody with that shit costs more. So yeah, no, I I fully agree with that. Um, however, I just dislike the idea that, like from from a lower gang point, if you're a, a very very wealthy gang, let's say you're playing Vanessa, you're winning the campaign, you're very very wealthy. 
you could just afford to hire these guys every turn and really expensive ones and just dick on the other player. Like it's something you can do, not the best thing to do maybe, but it suddenly works. Yeah. Whereas I would love to see bounty hunters as a catch up mechanic. So like if I'm behind, I hire bounty hunters to try and get, you know, get the edge on my own. So you're Van Sayer, you're starting to take off in the campaign. I want to stop you from taking off. I employ bounty hunters. Whereas the way it works at the minute is that the guy that's winning is better off hiring the bounty hunters because fuck it, why not? Maybe it it's just... like um, as the value of the leaders go up, as they get higher levels and so on and have more expensive gear, they start hitting thresholds where you can get X amount of free points of bounty hunters. That'd be an awesome the, idea. The you know Because it makes sense because like gang of criminals... The leader will be worth money for bounty hunters, and the bigger, more successful gang, the leader, will be worth a lot more for bounty hunters. So, if a gang goes up against like, hey, maybe we can bring in some bounty hunters, so we're going to try and bring this guy down, do you want to try and claim the bounty? Like, that works. That makes sense. Yeah. Makes it a catch-up mechanic, makes it thematic, makes it awesome. Necromunda, hire us! <laughs> yeah, that would be really awesome. Because that, that was something that I was dabbling with, and um, was I was trying to think of ways that you include bounty hunters without it just being a like a dick move, you know? Because from an arbitrator point of view, if you just gave a guy bounty hunters every round, same as the allegiances, and then the bounty hunter kills someone else's dude, they spent like three hundred credits on and yeah. sixteen battles upgrading, and your free bounty hunter choddy man just kills him, you know they're gonna hate the arbitrator. And as the arbitrator, I wouldn't be very happy with that out. I feel a bit of a dick for killing your dude with my... So yeah, that would be a really cool way of doing it. To... Okay, so... You could, make, oh. you could make it work with bounty hunters, like so to make it so that bounty hunters could, bounty hunters could never kill their target. Like if the bounty hunter took somebody down, they were always counted as captured. Yeah, that would also be a really cool thing to do. Because yeah. also, again, makes it feel thematic and whatever. Aiming to wound. <laughs> yeah, like that kind of thing. Aiming to wound. Okay, um, so final bits of the book. And again, that would be really cool because bounty, bounty hunters are really awesome, by the way. Like, really, really cool in Necromunda. And it's a real shame that we don't get to use them more. That's my issue with them. Yeah. Like, once, if, if there was a good way to use bounty hunters in a sparing but meaningful way, that would be awesome. Like, so not, not every battle round you've got some fucking bounty hunter showing up. Yeah. Um, I like the idea that, you know, because the campaigns are played in phases. If just for one phase of a campaign, say, this guy had a, a bounty hunter attached to his gang because the bounty hunter agreed for this cycle, you know, I'm going to try and kill as many, you know, Goliaths as possible or something. Yeah. You know, something like that. Like, I, I don't know. Anyway. Um, okay, final bits of the book. Final, final bits. Okay, so there's new bounty hunters, new heroes in the book. New bounty hunters and heroes, it's always cool. I like the stuff. There's flavor. I like it. Good stuff. There's also a Hydra... Um, this is so fucking cool. A Hydra Sump Croc. Ancient. Which has also been cloned, which is so fucking Aww. cool. Because It's meant to be like the source of all Sump Crocs, allegedly, is this Hydra that's been cloned. Um, but also there might be other clones of the Hydra, so it might not necessarily be the legendary Hydra. Um, Hydras are like one of my fucking favorite creatures of all time. So the fact that Goliaths, my favorite gang, are getting like I also fucking love crocodiles as real world creatures. Yeah. 
getting a fucking hydra crocodile for my goliaths it's so fucking exciting i hope they make a model they haven't announced a model but i think they will if you I get think that they before will. i get my fucking mech suit i swear to god yeah that's gonna be a shame that'll be a shame for you um <laughs> okay jotun stores so they're ogrens um ogrens oh, that are basically like slaves in the mines and the fabricatoriums very cool guys I really like the idea. And they're also kind of, there's something really sad about this idea of, you know, these, this kind of like slave race of giants that like escape slavery and then just kind of like forge out their own existence. And like, there's something honest about them. There's something honest and kind of pure for Necromunda, which I really like while still being colossal beasts, of immense violence. Like let's not, let's not forget that. <laughs> Do I think the Jotun, Servitor gang is a good gang. Definitely. I think it's a very, very cool gang, but I also think that it's weirdly just a skirmish gang or like a, an NPC battle type thing. Yeah. I think they're really cool models. I'd love to see them as hangers-on, as brutes, which, you, um, which is fucking awesome because they have look I, amazing. Have I even seen this gang? They look really cool. You'll love them. They've got like um, sockets on their arms, which is like a magnet dome which they can then attach different mining equipment to which is either like lasers or fists or whatever augmented fists um that's necromunda let's let's see all necromunda the secret to their success in the gang capacity uh is actually running them very very cheap because they have great um stats run them very very cheap definitely a close combat gang um and you take i'm trying to find the uh page a minute. I can't find these lads. It's in there, trust me. Okay, so you take um, Lobo Slaves. Lobo Slaves basically uh, can never be pinned. They're 70 credits each for a decent stat line. Ooh, that's really uh, and then you just give them like an augmentic fist or something. So 110 points for a really dark that cannot be pinned and is quite tough. Like, if you took a, a spam load of these guys... Yeah. Uh, it's certainly terrifying. Like this this herd of lobotomized gigantic creatures. Um, again, aesthetically, they're so cool. Lore-wise, they're so fucking cool. I love the idea that some of them, you know, like they can step out of line and they just get lobotomized because they're not worth any people. Um, also, just to make them better workers, you just lobotomize them because then they can work forever or until their bodies give out. Yeah. Charming. They're a cool little gang. The one thing that I just think that prevents them from being a true sort of campaign force is that they don't really advance much. Like, I don't really know how that they interact with the uh, Black and all that sort of stuff, because I can't imagine them using melter guns. They are gigantic. <laughs> Seriously, where, where the fuck are these models? You'll find them. Yeah. Uh, maybe they're Forge World only, just... or maybe they've not been released yet. They're, oh yeah, they're not. They're not out yet. You can't get them. Sorry, they are coming at the time of this podcast. They they're on their way. Um, yeah, sorry. The the overboss can purchase anything from the trading post and black market. So they they can buy the stuff. They can be developed. Um, really cool fucking gang. I really like them. Yeah. And again, it, it's just a great kit because number one, the models are awesome. They look like a lot of fun to paint. And also, they make a beautiful brute or hanger-on for your gang. 
they also get a uh, special bounty hunter that is Throg 12 Sparky. Throg 12 Sparky. Throg 12 Sparky. I think he's like partially lobotomized. Um, but yeah. They're such a beautiful little gang. Um, and it's a really nice addition to the book because it just means that as well as getting Goliaths, you know, we've expanded Necromunda as well in this little book. Yeah. So we've got the Goliaths, we've got an extra gang. And what people are kind of saying is that with all the major houses, if all the major houses get a new book, but also introduce like a sub-faction in the book, um, that's going to be pretty darn cool because you just expand the Necromunda range, which is something we're in favor of. Yeah, I think it's a good way of, well, getting us to buy more shit. It's a good way. Yeah, bring yeah, new we, stuff in. We like new stuff, which is different and plays differently. It is new to make and paint or whatever. And Games Workshop like selling us things. So as long as they keep giving us new shit, fuck yeah. So overall, how do I feel about House of Change? I think House of Change is the right step for Necromunda. I think it's a beautiful book. There's loads of fluffy um, rules, lore, all that kind of shit. Uh, it's definitely a power gain for Goliath. I do think that it's going to come down to the Goliath players individually, how you're going to use this. Like, If you're getting shit upon in your campaigns already, certainly try and break the game a bit with this book. Like, That's a, a useful thing. If you're Goliath and you're already winning, please don't abuse the book. Like, It's just a dick move. I don't think people will. But you, know, you can always tell that someone will try and do it. Um, yeah. I think the biggest issue with this book is that with newer players, because when the game first came out, and still today, a lot of new players struggle versus Goliath. Like, you take Esh, you take Cordor, you're versus Goliath. A lot of people really struggle with that. This book is not going to help them. It's also not going to help um, like a struggling new Goliath player because, as I said, like that plus one toughness points seems really good, but it's so situational that it might just be a negative in your scenario. So again, it's kind of it's got pitfalls for Goliath players, new Goliath players, um, and it might just hurt other people's opinion of Goliath as well. I don't think it does. I think Goliath are definitely one of the weaker gangs. Um, not terrible, not terrible. There's certainly stuff that you can do with them. Which are the but this is, gangs? I think uh, the weakest gangs are certainly Goliath. I think Orlok is down there as well, in my opinion. Yeah. Certainly Cordor. Like Cordor uses like Cordor gets a lot of value from its cards. Whereas, oh, something to note in this book: the cards are massively blown open again. So instead of just uh, twelve, I think unique. Goliath cards, it's now 66 unique they, Goliath cards. Are they now like in the book though? Like They're in cards? the book. They are all in the book. Thank Fuck. Yeah, you don't you don't need to buy cards then go out of production. So that's yeah. that's a beautiful thing. Positive and negative of that is obviously that you still got access to like the most broken stuff. You can spam the most broken stuff. Cordor rely on those cards to get the most broken stuff. When Cordor get this book and you have to randomly generate um you know uh tactics cards, Cordor might go down in power level again because they rely so specifically on some amazing ones again Cordor have amazing cards not that great as a gang because again they just they bowl fairly easily because their dudes are so cheap um you do have to kill quite a lot of them uh but they're fairly weak and they don't have good leadership so once they've bottled it's just they very quickly leave the board whereas goliath they can bottle and stay for quite a long time because they got a cool of four plus on their leaders 
So yeah, I think uh, Corpse Grindy Cults. Uh, I don't know. There's there's a lot of weird janky ones. I think weirdly enforced aren't that great a gang. Yeah. Top of the pyramids, definitely Asher. Not the top. The top is Vanser. Everyone can agree on that. Vanser are just ridiculously powerful. Don't so so good. Some, like absurd cards as well, but they just like teleport in a man with a multi melter next to your dude, basically. I mean, Delac have got a lot of cool stuff, but they've also got a lot of, like, really weak stuff. Yeah. They've got a lot of stuff where it's like, I teleport next to you, but I... <laughs> so... That'd be the other thing where I'd be like, maybe with the whole random thing, it'd be quite cool to do up with the Delac gang. But the Delac book is so far off. Because they're releasing these, like, once every quarter of the year. So... Yeah. You've got to wait till the start of next year to be able to get your Delac and Cordor, I think, of the two. Van Sayer is going to be Christmas time. Which I think is another thing that's disappointing, but I think it's definitely good that they take their time over it, because if we learn anything from and shove your books out the door, you get a very, very yeah. bad product. And as long as everything is of like the quality the Goliath one is, because you said the writing is good, and even if, again, it being Necromunda, flawed as fuck balance-wise, but my god, they keep coming up with some consistently awesome shit that makes me go... I mean, it's absolutely glorious, yeah. And I think with these books, it actually gives you the expansion to kind of nerf your guys a bit better. So instead of just going for the Mondo strengthy strategies, because you're limited by how your spectrum is. So for example, Van Saar, Van Saar, have a very, very thin spectrum of just being the best, because they have very good BS, yeah. not many melee weapons, a lot of good ranged weapons. If they just expand the Van Saar into more like an even spectrum of what items they can be equipped with that I think Vansair will come down in power level or have the option to come down in power yeah. level which is a good thing to have well, if you give them like interesting negative traits because again like I'm absolutely not against making my guys worse if it's interesting like with, when you were saying about the guy who is a tyrant pride where they have no champions because they're like you know the biggest baddest boy <laughs> like if Vansair come up with some cool shit like that I'll be down for using it fuck yeah yeah and there'd be a lot of cool stuff. I think you get a lot of fluffy stuff. And just one thing that uh, I need to just say that is so good about adding the stimmers and yeah, Forgeborn and stuff like that is it changes the look of the gang. I really enjoy the way you've got like different sizes and different shapes of people in the gang because it looks much less homogenous. It looks more ragtag. It looks more like a gang. So if they introduce like stimmers and Forgeborn type kits for all the gangs uh that's gonna be really exciting and awesome i expect they will um because you know they've done it for goliath and i imagine everyone else would get it but it is again another way of be expanding the product line bit of a dick move if they didn't yeah yeah and also everyone that has <laughs> and everyone that has a gang will probably buy the stimmer kit anyway yeah you know same for every every other single gang. and then if you've got like three or four gangs per person that dude's shelling out a lot of money. Okay, so I think that's it for House of Chains. Um, yeah. All over. To add for this week. I've actually got ideas for other episodes Whoa. of this. Yeah. So I've got a few ideas as well. In the future that aren't like three months apart. Dun, 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 dun. Well, in that case, yeah. uh, it's goodbye from me. And that's all. That's that's all from me as well. I apologise. There <laughs> came in slightly, slightly late with the uptake. Uh, 
God, make it make a do a proper finale now. Now that you've fucked it. Okay. Uh, House of Chains. Would I be a House of Chains? Yes, I would. My name's Henry, and I'm signing off. The Brothers Grimdark.